It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, guys, you are Locked On Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're going to be reviewing the film of the Falcons' Week 12 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, as well as answering your listener questions, focusing on Matt Ryan's performance. We'll talk a little bit about the play calling, and we'll spend a lot of today's episode talking about the offensive line play, assessing Matt Hennessy, Jalen Mayfield, as well as Drew Dalton. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at falcfans, putting up weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And of course, the host of this world renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I want to thank you for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Locked On Falcons is free and available in a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as now free and available on YouTube. Guys, check us out on the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. Make sure you give us a like. Make sure you leave a comment all that jazz and more. So today's episode is our weekly Wednesday All-22 review where I break down some aspect of the film that I wanted to investigate as well as answer any sort of listener questions that you guys sent in. And you guys sent in a bunch of good questions. A lot of them are offensive line related. Some of them are related to pro football focus grades who sort of are my standout players on offense and defense in this game. We'll talk a little bit about Jalen Mayfield's improved uh, pro football focus grade. We'll talk a little bit about Drew Dahlman versus Matt Hennessy and who sort of stood out in my eyes. We'll talk about, you know, the draft and whether or not the Falcons will be looking to upgrade Jalen Mayfield, or maybe they'll be looking to upgrade potentially offensive tackle and not Caleb McGarry. No, we're not going to Caleb McGarry Island today, guys. We're going to Jake Matthews Island, right? We're, we're going to be talking about potentially this team looking to find that heir apparent to Jake Matthews down the road in the draft rather than necessarily immediate upgrade to some of the other positions. So we'll get into all of that on today's episode, but of course we'll also get into my thoughts on the all 22. And one of the things I wanted to focus on in in reviewing this game, in addition to looking at the offensive line play and, and focusing on Drew Dahlman and, and Matt Hennessy and sort of who stood out, and we'll get into that as it, as I said or later in the episode, I wanted to t- look at sort of Matt Ryan's struggles in this game because watching the game live, he didn't look particularly good. And early in the game, it looked like, you know, there was a number of plays early in the game where it looked like the Falcons were trying to take shots down the field and Matt Ryan wound up checking the ball down and the immediate reaction was that it's, oh, this is just another example of the Falcons not having enough talent at the wide receiver position. And I wanted to do some investigation on that. And it was fairly true early in the game, at least, that early in the game, the Falcons did dial up a couple of shot plays and, and Matt Ryan did not deliver on those plays. And that was no not necessarily a fault of Matt Ryan. He wasn't getting particularly help from his receivers getting separation on those plays. There weren't any sort of clear-cut windows. There were some tight windows there, but... Matt Ryan is a naturally conservative quarterback and he's not going to necessarily unleash 
dragons on the opening play, uh, the opening drive of a game. Uh, you know, he's going to live to play another down. And, and so I don't knock Matt Ryan for not necessarily trying to dial up a 30 yard bomb on the first play or the second play or whatever it was uh, of this game. So I do think that was an issue. The receivers not getting open, leading to some checkdowns, but as the game wore on and after that first two series. And so once you got into the second quarter, once you got into the third quarter and, and, and continuing to the fourth quarter, Matt Ryan's issues were not related to receivers not getting open. You know, some of it was receivers were open, but Matt Ryan wasn't seeing them. Some of it was, Matt Ryan not pulling the trigger on some windows that were opening and shutting pretty quickly that normally Matt Ryan would, would see and, and not throw late to and, and see those windows opening and closing and, and throw with the typical anticipation that we have known for Matt Ryan to play with over the last 14 years. Didn't really do that on Sunday against the Jacksonville. Um, and then there were several examples of him missing throws. Um, and we can't, if we're not blaming the receivers, we can't blame the protection because this is arguably some of the best protection that Matt Ryan's seen all season. Pro Football Focus had him pressured on just eight dropbacks, which is 26% of the plays, and that's the lowest percent other than the Washington game. Shout out to my boy Chase Young. Get well soon, my guy. Um, but, uh, you know, outside of that one game, this was the best pass protection we've seen from the Falcons uh, this season. And th- the reason why we're, we're talking about this with Matt Ryan um, it's not because I have some agenda or, you know, trying to fit this narrative or anything like that. I just like to be open and honest with you guys about what I see on the film. And if Matt Ryan plays well, I'll say so. If Matt Ryan doesn't play well, I'll say so. I have no interest in wading into the ongoing civil war and choosing the side when it comes to Matt Ryan. You know, if as cheesy as it sounds, my, my side is truth, right? And I think it's important to talk about the times when Matt Ryan isn't playing well, just like I think it's important to talk about Arthur Smith's play calling. We'll get to that in a second. And the reason why, you know, I think I often get labeled as being hypercritical when it comes to some of these things, but I think it's important that we scrutinize these things and and potentially we're not going to get into it on today's episode, but potentially this is something we can dive deeper in later in the week, potentially on Friday. Uh, But I think it's important to look at these things with honest eyes. Um, And the, the sort of simple explanation for that, you know, the preview of what we may wind up talking about more extensively on Friday is, that if we're not getting A-level performances from Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith uh, from a play-calling standpoint and Matt Ryan executing that play-calling and whatnot, uh, moving forward, you know, there's going to be some potential serious consequences down the road that will potentially lead to those guys not retaining their current jobs uh, in the future. Again, that's not on the immediate horizon, but that's potentially closer around the corner objects in the mirror, you know, appear closer than, than it seems or, or whatever that statement is. So, you know, this team is potentially on the cusp if they don't get results. And I've been saying this for several weeks now and several months now that if they don't start getting results and winning games and, and that requires good play calling and good quarterback play and all these various things, um, you know, they're going to be completely blown up and, and torn down in the future. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But again, that's something that we can get into more on Friday. Um, as for Smith's play calling, you know, I, for the most part, I don't have too many nitpicks. I have some, you know, I do. Um, but you know, I, I thought he did a better job utilizing stack concepts and bunch formations. Something I've pointed out previously on the podcast as a way to make usage of quote unquote, lesser wide receivers. We saw that with Russell Gage's touchdown. There was a, a catch or two that, uh, Cordero Patterson had, uh, where they did a nice job using sort of stacks and rubs and, and those various things. Uh, so that was a positive in, in seeing the Falcons take advantage of that um, in this game. 
you know, on the, I guess the negative side, although it's not really negative is after that sort of uh, those initial drives where you did see the Falcons taking shot plays, it didn't seem like they were that interested in dialing up shot plays after that point. And they were just sort of content to run the ball and, and sort of dink and dunk. And that was effective, right? I'm not being critical. That's why I mean, where it's not really negative because it was effective against Jacksonville, but it's obviously something that you don't know if it's going to be effective this week against Tampa Bay or effective in the future, because it hasn't been that effective uh, of a playing style for this offense, you know, throughout this season. So that's going to be something that's interesting to see how it develops. You know, uh, my guy, Ben Gray's book at Grazy Bizzle on Twitter pointed this out. And I, I kind of agree with him. It just kind of plants the seeds of sort of potentially this is maybe the style of offense that Arthur Smith wants to play in, in, in B, which is not one that's that interested in, in shot plays. We can get into that a little bit later on today's episode as well. Um, and as I said, it, it worked against Jacksonville. Who knows if it's going to work against Tampa Bay? I, I would be skeptical of that. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about the, the need for a talent infusion, if the Falcons are going to play this way, it's it's very clear that at least based unless we start seeing them being more successful playing this way for the rest of the season, that, you know, the talent infusion is going to have to help this team if that's what, how they want to play it, running the football and dinking and dunking and, and taking the occasional shot down the field. Um, then we're going to need to see a, a little bit more infusion of talent, particularly on the offensive line, potentially at the running back position. And again, those are topics that we can get into further on today's episode as we answer some of you guys' questions. So um, again, we can get into more of this uh, moving forward on Friday's episode and, and talking about, you know, how Arthur Smith wants to play and, and all these various things, but circling back to Matt Ryan, you know, I'm pointing out Matt Ryan's struggles, um, because I don't think this week, maybe in certainly in previous weeks, we could certainly point at other our fingers at certain things, uh, you know, the, the receiver room, the the blocking, the run game, the defense or whatever, and say, oh, Matt Ryan struggled because of this other entity. I don't think that was really the case outside of a handful of plays at the very beginning of the game. For most of this game, Matt Ryan's struggles were his own. And I, I point this out. Because, you know, I don't think Matt Ryan's played particularly well in four out of the last five games. I think the Saints game is really the only game he's had that he's played well going back to that Panthers game where I thought he also struggled in that game. And it's not to sit here and and make some sort of grand sweeping final judgment referendum on Matt Ryan. You know, he's not played particularly well for my eyes over the last four, you know, four out of the last five weeks. But certainly when we look at the next five weeks, you know, he could certainly play at a really high level for four out of the next five games. It's certainly possible. Um, and so any criticism I have of Matt Ryan, again, is not to, to write him off or say anything with any sort of finality. It's just to be truthful and honest about him and and speak on what I see on the film and not doing the thing that I think a lot of people do when they talk about this team or talk about this quarterback or anything, which is basically just ignore the data that doesn't fit the narrative. And so, you know, even though this game shows us that, I don't think Matt Ryan's struggles were related to the supporting cast around him or the lack of talent, you know, or at least the vast majority of his struggles were not related to those things. You know, that's not going to get talked about this week. And I think it's important that, you know, people like me that are, you know, all about the truth, shout out to Jack Nicholson. Uh, you, you can't handle the truth. Um, you know, need to point out. So, I say that because now that we're on YouTube, I also know there's a tendency that when I have talk about Matt Ryan in, in any of these videos or, you know, in the audio version of the podcast, that there is a tendency in, in the comments for people to try to make the comments another battleground in the ongoing perpetual civil war over Matt Ryan. And, you know, I don't want necessarily that to be the case here. Uh, so I, I want to get ahead of that to a certain extent, you know, to me, that whole conversation, that whole 
civil war is just so toxic. And I would like the Lockdown Falcons comment thread to be relatively toxin-free, a safe space, as it were, to have a conversation. We don't have to make everything an argument or a debate or anything like that. You don't have to feel like you're going to get attacked for sharing an opinion that people will be willing to do that. And, and whether that's on the YouTube comment threads or whether that's on Twitter, I always try to, you know, if you feel safer just sending that via email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com by all means i i'm more than open to hearing those comments and i would hope that other people uh would you know in these more public spaces like youtube and whatnot would be equal openly minded uh in that regard so again these are some of the issues that we can get into more on friday's episode when we potentially talk a little bit more deeply about this stuff obviously tomorrow we have a crossover with the guys from lockdown bucks and we'll continue today's episode by getting into the q a mailbag portion of the show talking a little bit more about you know pro football focus grades uh and who sort of stood out uh in this game talking a little bit about Jalen mayfield's improved pro football focus grade. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, Marvin Hall, not getting into the mix, my guy, Marvin Hall. So we'll get into all of that as we continue today's lockdown Falcons. But of course, you know, we're after Thanksgiving and we're entering the home stretch of the pro and college football season. And as always, bet online is your number one spot for all things football. You, you can head to the new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code Locked On. The line for this weekend's action between the Falcons and Bucks is the Bucks are favored on the road by 11 and a half points, which is a big yikes. And I, I believe the line actually opened up uh, earlier this week at the Bucks being favored by 10. So it's already moving in the Bucks direction. So maybe you want to put your money on the Bucks uh, before that line climbs too high for you to feel comfortable with that. Or maybe you want to wait a little bit later in the week to put your money on the Falcons, hoping that the line will climb even higher and you'll get maybe the potential for a backdoor cover from this Atlanta Falcons team, regardless of how you want to bet. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on your favorite sports from football to pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So when we talk uh, about the Q&A, let's get into our first question. It comes from Terrence F. He sent an email to LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com and asked, the Falcons obviously need help at the receiver group. I see they technically brought Marvin Hall up from the practice squad at some point, but do you think he'll make more of an impact this season? I mean, he's got to be a better option for a speedier deep threat than what we have, Right. To me, Arthur Smith doesn't seem to be dealing with the wide receiver issue with as much urgency as he should be. We'll see, Terrence. Uh, it goes back to kind of what we just talked about. If you're not really invested in generating explosive plays, then a player like Marvin Hall just kind of seems like just the guy. You know, Obviously, he has value. He has upside as that deep threat, as you mentioned, but you're not going to be chomping at the bit, as it says, uh, to you know push the ball down the field with him on the field. Um, you know, we, we saw with those deep shots early in the game, you know, a, a speedy option like Marvin Hall would be valuable in that situation. But 
you know, if you're going to play like you did against the Jaguars on Sunday and, and basically make a couple of attempts and they don't work. And then you're basically like, okay, well that goes on the back burner for the rest of the game as it, as it was the case against Jacksonville, then, you know, a player like Marvin Hall, again, is not going to be that high a priority to get onto the football field. And I think lack of urgency, as you put it, is, is certainly a good way of terming it. Um, you know, it is notable to me that the Falcons are the NFL's least explosive offense uh, in terms of generating 20 plus yard plays this year. Um, and it, it's it's clearly not an issue that the team is outright ignoring because, again, going back to those uh, early shots that they tried to dial up early in the game. Um, but again, when you factor in that they kind of didn't, they stopped doing that. And then you factor in the idea that they signed Marvin Hall several weeks too late. You know, we were talking about signing a player like Marvin Hall, John Brown, who was just recently released by the Jaguars, um, you know, six weeks before the team actually pulled the trigger on that move. Uh, and then you can make the argument that given that Arthur Smith shares the same agent with Julio Jones. And so therefore it's very unlikely that he was, oblivious to Julio Jones desire to leave Atlanta when he was hired uh, for the job uh, in January. The idea that, you know, they waited until November to sign Marvin Hall means that they kind of waited nine months. It wasn't just six weeks. It was nine months to really deal with that issue of finding a more explosive receiver. So again, it's not meant to be overly critical of Arthur Smith or say that he's doing a, a poor job, but it just sort of goes back to kind of planting the seeds in our head about like what style of offense he wants to play. Is this going to be, again, as you say, a lack of urgency to, to really utilize a player of, with Marvin Hall skill set. And we'll see sort of, you know, planting these seeds, what we sort of reap, what we sow down the field or, or what Arthur Smith, you know, what he reaps of what he sows down the field. So, you know, maybe Arthur Smith is listening to the podcast and, and seemingly he did last week because he started utilizing more stack and bunch concepts. Like we suggested on the podcast last week. And he says, Hey, you know, Aaron, you know, I'm going to show you, we're going to utilize Marvin Hall this week against Tampa Bay. And look, I'll be thrilled to see it. So we'll just sort of have to see how the rest of the season plays out. Again, there's there's no finality here with any of these observations. This is just basically, here are my thoughts this week. We'll see what my thoughts are next week. And then, you know, we'll see how that continues the rest of the season. And then at the end of the season come January, then we can sort of make the grand sweeping final statements when it comes to a lot of these issues. So we'll just sort of have to see how it plays out. Our next question comes from Ebony Man 101 on Twitter. He asks, uh, I'd like to know who is your best and worst rated players on offense and defense after you view the all 22 and how closely they match the pro football focus grades for that week. So I have to give a little bit of a caveat here because I'm not grading every snap like pro football focus is doing. So when you ask me who the best and worst player of, of any game is it's kind of based off of the mental notes I'm taking during the game, where basically the way that my methodology and, and how, how I watch it, how I'm watching film currently, I used to way back in the day when I had a lot more time, uh, take very copious notes, like in 2015, 2016, very detailed notes of every single play of, of what happened. But now, you know, cause I'm a little bit more pressed for time doing the daily pack has no complaints there. Uh, but you know, because I have to kind of get through the film a lot quicker, I'm not doing as many detailed notes. I am taking notes when I, when I do get around to charting the coverages, I do do that. Uh, but that's about it. Um, but so basically I look at it from did the play work or did the play not work? And what were the causes of why the play worked? And, you know, if that reflects an individual player on either the offense or defense, or what were the causes of why the play didn't work? And does that reflect in an individual player on offense or defense or whatever the case may be? And so I'm just taking mental notes of how often, you know, for the positive plays, um, 
does a player go, oh, he did something good this game. And, you know, once we get to like two or three times, I'm like, okay, this guy played well. And, you know, when the opposite is true, when you get two or three times where a guy messed up, you're like, mm, you know, left a little bit of meat on the bone. So, you know, to answer your question, for me offensively, I, I'd probably just go with Cordero Patterson. He, he just seemed to do a really good job in this game. I know Pro Football Focus had Patterson two and Lindstrom one in terms of their grades. And, like, I don't have a problem with Lindstrom being one. You know, the thing that – you know, it's consistently the case with Chris Lindstrom is that he rarely messes up. Like you're not watching, or at least I'm not watching the film and particularly because, you know, the Falcons can't run the football. So it's hard to excel, <laughs> you know, you're not seeing a lot of offensive run plays that are working. So there's not really an opportunity for offensive linemen to show the positive performances in that regard. But you're, you know, the thing about Chris Lindstrom, the point is that like, he doesn't mess up a lot. Like it's not always like he's out there kicking tail or kicking butt or whatever the case may be. It's just like, he's just doing his job very, very consistently and rarely, you know, has a bad rep. It, it happens from time to time, but it's, it's, it's pretty rare. Defensively, I would probably go with AJ Terrell. I know Anthony Rush was PFS highest graded player. And I, I think that's largely due to the fact that he was able to create a turnover in this game. And I've noticed over time that, you know, I think pro football focus really can jack up or, or, or lower a player's grade based off of, you know, if he fumbles the ball or, or generates a turnover or whatever the case may be. Cause I've noticed in the past, you know, again, we're taking a brief detour to McGarry Island, but I've noticed in the past that even though there have been games where Caleb McGarry hasn't had a high quantity of bad reps, I, I think PFF has deemed him on the quality of those reps and it's often seemed to coincide in games where he's given up a sack that resulted in a fumble. Although I question that a little bit because pro football focuses methodology would suggest that that would be a ding on the quarterback and not the offensive tackle if the quarterback fumbles the ball. But you know, that, that's just something I've noticed. So I think that's the reason why Anthony rush played well outside of that one play and maybe one other play. He didn't really stand out in a major way to me uh, to earn my top spot. So AJ Terrell was the guy that really stood out to me. He was targeted a number of times in this game and, and outside of maybe one or two didn't really give up uh, too many completions and, and really did a, a solid job, broke up a couple of passes uh, in that regard. So he was probably the standout for me on the defense. So, yeah, you know, both of my top offensive and defensive guys in, in Patterson and Terrell wound up being number two on, on PFF's grade. So uh, it, it worked for me, right? Uh, J.D. Dickerson at J.D. Dickerson one on Twitter asks, say Mayfield's uh, saw Mayfield's uh, PFF grades for run and pass blocking had a respectable run blocking grade. Do you think this bodes well for his pass blocking grade? grade to begin improving also. Yeah. You know, I, I did notice again, because we saw a lot more of those positive run plays. Uh, there were a lot more instances of Jalen Mayfield having positive run blocks. Uh, and, and certainly it's not to sit here and say he's never had those plays before, but you know, because they're so rarely the Falcons do a good job running the football uh, this season. Uh, those types of plays are, are sort of few and far between. So I did notice an uptick in his run blocking as well as an uptick in, in, pretty much everybody else's run block. Even Jake Matthews, who had struggled this year as a run blocker, had some positive run blocking plays in this game. Um, you know, when you look at the PFF grades, we talked about this two weeks ago when he had that ridiculously high, like 92 grade against Dallas in large part due to like three good reps in the, in the garbage time in that game. I, I certainly think I would argue at least, you know, based off of my sort of less, I guess it's not as objective because I guess PFF is grading every play as equal and not basically saying, oh, the score, it's within X number of points. And so therefore these grades count less. You know, I, 
I understand that methodology, but, um, you know, it doesn't work for me personally. Uh, so like I would sit here and say that Jalen Mayfield had a more impactful performance in the run game this week, despite not having as nearly a higher grade, uh, as he did two weeks ago in that Dallas game. So, um, when it comes to Mayfield's pass protection, you know, that wasn't quite up to par. As we mentioned earlier, Matt Ryan wasn't pressured a lot, but generally speaking, it tended to be Jalen Mayfield's guy that was pressuring him when the offensive line did sort of have those breakdowns. Um, you know, I don't know if his improved performance this week in, as a run blocker means anything as a pass protector because I just don't think those skill sets really overlap all that much. You know, both require footwork and technique and leverage and all these various things, but the footwork and, and technique and leverage that you use for one versus the other are, are generally different, right? Run blocking tends to be a little bit more of an aggressive sort of way of, of blocking while pass blocking is more of a passive or reactionary sort of thing where you're reacting to what the defensive player is doing more often than not. And the issue with Jalen Mayfield is that his footwork, his athleticism, his flexibility are limited and that limits his ability to react quickly to a lot of those things. And that's why you see a number of plays where he just completely whiffs on a block or whatever. It gets overextended, you know, and, and what that means is like when you see an offensive lineman bent over and unbalanced and, and trying to, you know, do this or whatever, that's not, that's not a good place to be when you're an offensive lineman. And you see that often with Jalen Mayfield for these exact reasons. And so the fact that he showed progress as a run blocker this week uh, doesn't necessarily mean that I think you can really expect progress in those areas. Cause those are areas that, you know, are going to take a considerable time. Like the, the footwork, you know, the athleticism, the flexibility, those things are probably not going to improve significantly moving forward unless he, you know, really gets into yoga, uh, you know, and, and really gets into a, a strength and training program that completely revamps his body. Um, you know, it's, it's possible that he could do that, but like, again, you know, that doesn't happen very often in the NFL. So I, I wouldn't hold your breath in that. The technical aspects of the thing, the hand usage, all these various things, you know, that does typically get developed in the NFL, but it, it typically doesn't happen on the sort of time spans that I think a lot of fans think it does. Like, it's not something that, oh, you'll figure it out in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You know, it takes several years, uh, typically three, uh, for guys to really get that, you know, under them. And, and so that's, that's kind of the core issue uh, of why I hate Jalen Mayfield. I, I don't hate him. I just... My my beef is like the time span that it's going to take for Jalen Mayfield to develop those things is not a time span. And again, this may be something that we might end up talking about on Friday um, is not a time span that's really conducive for the current situation in Atlanta. They don't they can't really afford to wait on a three year project like Jalen Mayfield is. And that's why it was, I have been in and was so critical of that draft selection uh, and, and whatnot. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Drew Dolman's debut and extended look uh, as well as sort of why the Falcons chose this week of all weeks to, to make that happen. And if there's a, maybe some, reasoning behind that. And we'll speculate on that as well as we'll talk a little bit about the Falcons potential draft plans, whether or not they're going to be as invested replacing Jalen Mayfield, or maybe they'll be looking to uh, replace uh, J Jake Matthews uh, or at least groom Jake Matthews replacement. And maybe they can uh, 
what's was it kill two birds with one stone is that the is that the phrase i'm bad at phrases guys uh so we'll we'll get into all of that as we close out today's lockdown falcons but before we get there i want to thank you guys for making lockdown falcons your first listen of course i always have recommendations for what your second listen should be and of course the local atlanta georgia shows got you covered here on the lockdown podcast network you got locked on hawks locked on braves locked on bulldogs all are free available in a variety of podcast platforms locked on braves and locked on bulldogs are also free and available on youtube so go subscribe to those channels as well as subscribe to Locked on Hawks on your favorite podcasting app. So this holiday season, you guys should make an opportunity to grab a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar and even better than a candy bar. And if you don't know about what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar on the market. They're rich with decadent flavor covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, low in carbs and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. They have so many flavors. You'll have a hard time choosing. You got raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, or maybe you're a fan of my personal favorite, the coconut almond flavor. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel that you need to endure those endless shopping lines, battle those holiday shoppers for that next great deal. Or maybe you can hook Santa up. I'm sure he's tired of milk and cookies. Maybe you can leave him a Built Bar by the fireplace when he comes down the chimney, uh, since he's going to definitely need that fuel to get through the long night ahead of him on Christmas. I'm sure Santa is going to love them and he might even throw, uh, he might love them so much that he'll throw a couple in your stocking. So give him a heads up, make sure that he checks the list twice by heading over to built.com. Use the promo code locked 15. You'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So our final question of the day comes from Mantis Toboggan, MD, at Sebastian's Dad 19. He has several questions. Do you believe the reason we saw Dalman get snaps was more because we were playing the Jaguars at the perfect time for live reps or because Hennessy needed to be benched? Would you be okay with that in a divisional game? What's more realistic? We draft a left tackle of the future and play him at left guard until Matthews is done in the first, or we look to upgrade our D-line in the first. With Mayfield playing below average, what hope do you have for him going forward? And do you think it's more because of the play from the center or is it, or is Mayfield just bad? So I could talk for days about this, Matthew, as I know you, uh, Sebastian's dad, 19 on Twitter. Uh, so I will try my best to not go on too many tangents because I do want to talk a little bit about the draft class, but I, I, I'm, I'm not going to have enough time to get into all of that. So, um, you know, my thoughts on Drew Dahlman's performance in this game, I was a little bit more impressed with him than Matt Hennessy. I thought Dahlman did a little bit better job as a run blocker, did a little bit better job making some of those second level blocks in, in space. Um, didn't seem to have as much issues with power, although again, maybe some of that's due to the quality of the, the competition and things would have been different if he was facing Christian Barmore, uh, last week against New, uh, New England. Uh, so again, I, I'm not going to necessarily, um, 
I'm not going to say take that with a grain of salt, but I, I'm not going to put as much stock in that uh, moving forward. You know, and it, to be fair to Hennessy, most of his struggles were on the opening series of the game. And after that point, it was kind of a non-issue. Uh, so I would say if this was an addition for Dolman to get more snaps or to potentially take over the starting job full time, I would say it went generally well for him. I'm not going to sit here and pound the table that, you know, the Falcons need to make a, an immediate change or anything like that. They need to hand them the starting job or, or certainly this week against Vita Vea, you know, it would be interesting to see how well he fares in that matchup, uh, you know, to sort of measure it against uh, Hennessy or whatever the case may be. But basically what I'll say is I'm open to the Falcons t- continuing to test these waters to see maybe if a switch at the center position is in the cards in the future, whether that's this season or next season, whatever the case may be. So, you know, initially to answer your first question, why did they give Dolman reps this week? My initial thought process was it was related to Hennessy's struggles against the Patriots, given that they had a little bit of a mini buy coming off a of Thursday night. And that gave them a little bit of time maybe to reassess things that you would normally do after a, a full bye week. Maybe they thought, okay, this is a good opportunity to maybe give Dolman a look here. But then as I continue to watch the film and seeing more and more of the Falcons, young guys that hadn't really played all that much, like Darren Hall getting more reps at nickel cornerback, Emmanuel Ellerby got some late game reps uh, as an off ball linebacker, uh, subbing in for both Foya Aluakun and um, uh, Michael Walker. It made me think maybe this was just the time where the Falcons figured it was the right. So, you know, whether it was simply because it's the Jaguars and the Falcons pulled the Jim Tom Sula. And for those of you that don't know that reference back in the day when Jim Tom Sula was the 49ers head coach in, in 2015, he wanted to bench Colin Kaepernick early in that season, but he didn't want to put Blaine Gabbard out there. Who was Kaepernick's backup too early uh, where he would be put in a position to fail. And so he publicly stated, and I remember Falcons Twitter being very upset with this, and we were the ones that wound up getting egg on our face. Uh, but, you know, he basically stated that he wanted to wait till the Falcons game, until the, the 49ers had an easy opponent before he would put Blaine Gabbert in the game. And obviously Blaine Gabbert would go on to lead the 49ers to victory that game. Uh, a lot of issues. Like, I'm going to remember that game when I'm 86 years old on my deathbed it's going to be still be burled in my brain far longer than Super Bowl 51 is ever going to be. But, you know, I don't know if the Falcons were doing that is, is the point I'm trying to make. I, I think maybe part of it was just simply the fact that during the course of the game, the Falcons had a lead. And so they could have been a little bit more flexible uh, playing some of their young guys because this was the first time in several weeks that they've had a lead. And when you look at the potential matchup they have against Tampa Bay, it's probably not likely that they're going to have too many leads in this game to test the waters again with some of these young guys. So they basically took full advantage of, okay, this is the week where we're going to be able to get some of these guys to play. And maybe this had been the plan for several weeks, but they just hadn't had the opportunity again until late in some of these games in garbage time to see what these guys could do. And maybe some of their performances in garbage time, like Dolman's performance late in that uh, Cowboys game helped facilitate that. Again, I don't know. I, I could endlessly speculate about this. Um, now to answer your next question, which would I be okay with Dolman and Hennessy rotating in a divisional game or really any game? Sure. I, you know, I don't have as big an issue with platooning or rotating offensive linemen as others do. Like it's not ideal to me, but it's not a situation that, you know, having watched film for 10 years now, I haven't seen a whole lot on film that makes me think that it's like guaranteed to fail or it's likely to fail. Like generally speaking, offensive line plays about, you know, guys missing blocks and and getting beat. And I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence over the years on film saying that rotating guys in and out of the lineup 
leads to them more often missing blocks and getting beat. You know, um, again, it's not an ideal situation, but I don't, I don't think it's as detrimental as maybe some people will claim it as, but obviously you do are, you are concerned about the cohesion and continuity when you do do that. And to me, that usually manifests itself. Like when teams are running twists and stunts um, and then particularly at the center position, like we're talking about here, you know, you, because that position is often responsible for making line calls and calling the protections and, and, and making some of those adjustments there, that can be a concern when you're shuffling a different guy in and out of lineup. But again, that only really becomes a concern if you're taking guys off the field. Like when we're talking about twists and stunts, guys that are not are good at that and you're replacing them with guys that aren't, aren't like, for example, the Falcons, the right side of the Falcons offensive line with Lindstrom and Gary, generally speaking, uh, tend, don't really have that much of an issue against twists and stunts and adjusting to that. The left side of the offensive line has had problems and that's not just a Mayfield Matthews issue. That was a Matthews Carpenter issue uh, dating back several years. So, you know, if you were platooning a guy on the right side, I think that would be a bigger issue because of that reason than it would be on the left side. And the same thing with center. Like if, if Matt Hennessy was really good at making protection calls uh, and you were subbing him out for some green guy like Drew Dolman, who doesn't know what he's doing, that would be a bigger issue. But because Matt Hennessy's not great at that, like, you know, it, it's one of those things where like, can Drew Dolman be worse? Technically, yes, he can. But like, it's one of those things where like, I don't feel like you're making, you're, you're risking that much when you sort of rotate these guys. So th- that's that. I think those are factors that would play into it. And basically the, the, the point I'm making is the circumstances that the Falcons find themselves in. I'm not too worried about, you know, them rotating guys in and out of line. So if they were to do this against the Panthers or the saints or whatever the case may be, or the Bucks this week, I wouldn't have a major problem with it. Again, I, I, I don't think it's going to matter who's playing against the Bucks defensive line, uh, particularly that interior defensive line, that they're going to struggle against those guys regardless of who they put in the game. But we'll see. Um, as for your next question about drafting a left tackle of the future and then plugging him at left guard in the short term, you know, it that really just kind of depends on if you have if you draft a guy that's capable of doing that. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this upcoming draft class. I've seen Roughly five guys. I've seen some of Evan Neal from Alabama, Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, uh, Iki Ekwanu, the left tackle slash guard from NC State, Kendall, or I'm sorry, Kenyon Green uh, from Texas A&M, and Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Um, those are basically it. And obviously, over the next several months, I will watch a lot more guys, and and certainly those guys, I'll watch more of them. Um, probably, you would probably say maybe a guy like Iki Ekwanu, uh, could do that because he's currently a left tackle, has experience as a left guard. I personally think he's 100% a guard, but, you know, it's possible that with development, again, I think he's, his technique and his footwork is, is a little too raw for him to last at, at tackle. I think his technique and footwork are going to give him problems, at least in pass protection as a um, as a guard. Uh, but, you know, he's a devastating run blocker and, and plays in a scheme, in an outside zone scheme. So he does check a lot of boxes uh, that I think the Falcons will be interested in if he's available to them in round one. But he would be a guy that I think some people would maybe say could fit that role. And with development, again, you know, if you can really refine that stuff, it's possible that you could plug him in at left guard immediately. And then, you know, with development, he can fix the, those footwork issues and, and whatnot and those technical issues and then be able to kick out outside to left tackle three years or so down the road. So it's possible, but you, you, you know, in theory, yeah, you would love to get that type of player, but you have to get the player that could do that, you know, and not every player is going to do that. And frankly, that type of player is rare that you're going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, that guy can play guard immediately 
but also is good enough to play tackle, right? Like that, you know, a Zach Martin type of player is is what you're kind of looking for, and, and those players don't really grow on trees, right? A Trent Williams is it's the type of player that you're kind of looking for, and those players are relatively rare. So um, that's what I'll say. You know, as for the other options in the first round, whether that would be the priority, I, I do think defensive line slash edge would probably be their first priority in round one. Um, you know, I, I would think that would be the case. Uh, again, I'll be curious to see if they were to target someone like an Aquanu or a Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, because that wouldn't necessarily be ideal because you're drafting players in round one to essentially play spots that you already drafted players in left guard with Aquanu and Mayfield, uh, and, you know, center with Dolman that you already drafted this past year. And, and so it would be a, a sign that you're, you basically are admitting that you kind of whiffed on those draft picks, um, which normally NFL teams do not do, but you know, the guy that Terry Fontenot praised in his opening press conference, Ozzy Newsom, you know, was known for doing that. And that was one of the things that separated Ozzy. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. One of the things that made Ozzy one of the better GM managers is being able to recognize when you whiffed on the player. And I used an example with when they used their top pick in 2012 on Courtney Upshaw, thinking that he was going to be the guy that could tag team with Terrell Suggs off the edge and provide the juice. And it was very clear early on, you know, think shout out to uh, eating all them crab cakes up in Baltimore, uh, Courtney Upshaw, but he was not going to be that guy that would provide the juice. So what did they do immediately after that? Well, they went out and signed Elvis Dumerville, um, you know, and then a couple of years later, they continued to invest in that position, picking up guys like Zedaria Smith. They drafted Pernell McPhee earlier and they playing him instead of Courtney Upshaw. They wound up getting Matt Judon after Courtney Upshaw left and, and came here to Atlanta. But it was one of those things where like Baltimore didn't care that, you know, they had used their top pick on Courtney Upshaw. They weren't, you know, basically what Ozzie Newsom understands that a lot of NFL GMs don't understand is the sunk cost fallacy. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, look it up. Uh, and I, I, I can't explain it because I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't do a, a justice to, to explain it properly. So I will just say, Google it, uh, what the sunk cost fallacy is. So I would sit here and say, um, we'll see if the Falcons do that in terms of their interior offensive line investments in, in potentially in round one, as opposed to an offensive tackle. Uh, I, I think it's possible that they could take it off in the stack. I just haven't seen a guy other than Evan Neal that I really like, uh, you know, in round one, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Charles Cross. He's fine, but like, he doesn't blow me away, but outside of him, I haven't really watched anybody else that really st- stood out to me. And, you know, my personal opinion, again, this is the tangent I didn't want to get into talking about the draft, but like my personal opinion is I, I think either Houston or Jacksonville should draft Evan Neal. We'll see if they wind up doing that. But like, if, if they're picking in top three and they pass on Evan Neal, it's possible that he could fall to where the Falcons are picking. Cause you got teams like the giants and the jets and the Eagles who aren't as tackle needy as you know, you, you may think and, and may look at other options uh, at the top of the draft. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but you know, Evan Neal would be the one tackle that would intrigue me and certainly could be a player. Cause he has experience playing right tackle uh, could come in and, and rather than playing left guard, would come in and play right tackle for the Falcons, upgrade that from Kayla McGarry, and then you would potentially move him down the road to left tackle or whatever the case may be. So that's an option for the Falcons. But in terms of the Falcons' options in round one, uh, all that to say, you know, I my expectation is that they will try to upgrade the trenches. So that includes offensive line and D-line edge. I think edge, again, defensive line will get the priority. Um, but, you know, because this is a best player available drafting team, at least allegedly it is, we'll see if they stick to their guns on that uh, moving forward. But 
you know, if they're best player available, then that, that leaves the door open for a multitude of positions. My best guess would, you know, if it's not a trench player, cornerback would probably be pretty high on their uh, list. I think off-ball linebacker could potentially be high on the list, depending on what happens with Foye Oluokun and Deion Jones and, and whatnot. And if they go after some of those Titans guys like Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans and free agency or whatever the case may be. Again, Michael Walker as well, what, what he does, his performance against Jacksonville was not particularly good performance this season hasn't been particularly good but you know people are going to keep insisting that michael walker is the future uh and again i don't hate michael walker i just it's weird to me that you know people hype him up that's all um but you know and again you know talking about round one stuff quarterback is again probably not a likely option but he's not completely off the table so we'll, we'll see how it goes uh and how the rest of the season goes outside of those positions i would be surprised if they went in another direction in round one but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me like if, if the right player was there, the right receiver, the right running back or, or whatever the case may be, uh, the right safety was there. I wouldn't be completely shocked if they went in that direction, but I would not necessarily expect it. Uh, but, you know, your last question to wrap up today's episode, as I mentioned earlier, like Mayfield struggles are his own. Um, you know, it's not it has little to do with the center play. You know, as I said, continuing cohesion do matter in the NFL and, and who the guy is beside you does matter somewhat, but it's much more of an individual position than I think people, a lot, a lot of people want to give it credit for. Think of it like a, a group project. Like, yeah, if, if one person screws up on the group project, it brings down the entire grade of the entire group. Um, and th- that's kind of the weakest link in the chain sort of thing with the offensive line. But like all five of you, so to speak on this offensive line metaphor, you know, you each get a different aspect of the group project that you need to accomplish. And if you fail, you can't sit there and say, well, this other person didn't do mess me up. No, it's like, no, you, you were responsible for this, for, you know, in this case, blocking that one guy, you didn't do it. That's not the center's fault. That's your fault, you know? And so that's one of those things where like over the years, I've heard a lot of excuses when an offensive line is struggling and like, Oh, it's because this guy next to him is, is bad. And it's like, no, he missed that block because he missed that block, you know? And so I, I think that's generally been the case with Jalen Mayfield. I, you know, there are certainly factors. And I think, you know, particularly when it comes to run blocking, you know, who's next to you, particularly in the outside zone scheme matters a little bit more. But when we're talking about pass protection, which again, as we've talked about, is Jalen Mayfield's overwhelmingly big weakness. Most of those issues are purely on him. Uh, so that will do it guys. Um, for us on today's uh, week 12, all 22 Q and a mailbag review. Of course, tomorrow we'll be back with a crossover Thursday back on our regular schedule here with the lockdown bucks guys to preview this upcoming week 13 matchup and talk about, you know, if the Falcons can put together a better showing than they did in week two, they certainly are going to be motivated and we'll see what happens. Uh, and we'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. And of course, potentially Friday, we can get into some of the topics you know, talking about Arthur Smith and, and Matt Ryan that I didn't get into today. And, and maybe, you know, if there's other news that we need to wrap up, Stephen Means is coming back. So I know some of you guys will have something to complain about moving forward when Stephen Means gets back into the lineup. And, and shout out to Brandon Copeland, who who, who stepped up his game um, and, and really was impactful as a pass rusher. Uh, the, you know, the few times the Falcons were able to get pressure, you know, in this game. You know, shout out to Brandon Copeland for, for stepping up uh, and, and becoming uh, the new Stephen Means. Uh, um, you know, I know, I, I guess not new Steven means because new Steven means is, is, is being terrible, right? That's, that's what everybody keeps saying. Right. So Brandon Copeland was actually good. So, uh, but you know, it, then again, Steven means was the only edge rusher producing when Dante Fowler was out of lineup. 
when anybody else. So shout out to you, Brandon Copeland. Um, that being said, um, that will do it for us here on today's Locked On Falcons. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I tend to get lost at the end of the show. I get a little bit loopy, uh, low on uh, you know sugar. I need a built bar, uh, you know, or in low on protein, I guess, because you know they're low on sugar as well. So uh, that will do it for us here on Locked On Falcons. And of course, if you have another recommendation that you need for a second listen, of course, check out Locked On Bets so that you know if you should wait and put money on this Falcons Bucks game or maybe you should you know hit up betonline.ag immediately to get on that action and of course lee's got you covered not only for football bets but all the bets all the sports uh giving you his lock of the day his blowout specials and all that various stuff uh so go check out the lockdown bets podcast on your preferred podcast platform and if you guys want to send in questions for future q and a's uh, it's not just Wednesdays that we do this. Uh, we we can do it any day. So if you send in your questions, the minute they come to you, you can do so, of course, at Locked on Falcons on Facebook or Twitter. You can do so on the email address at LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. And, of course, you can leave a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube page. So appreciate it, guys. Until then. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.